Lord, we pray that you would do this work by your word, through your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated and open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 18. We're going to look today at Leviticus 18 and 20. Um, so buckle up, right? Um, if you have read ahead and you know where we are today, um, you know that this could get real interesting real quick, as Leviticus sometimes does. We have had moments in Leviticus where I just quite simply did not want to preach the sermon. Um, today, as I was going through this week uh, and getting ready for today's sermon, um, I said something interesting on Wednesday morning with a group of students where I was uh, teaching. And I said, you know, there are these times when you're preaching where you come to a passage of scripture and you really just don't want to say the things that you have to say because of the culture you're living in, because of the reality of what's happening around us, you know, and I was likening it to them living uh, and going to uh, high school and having to stand for truth when it's really hard. And we all have to do that in the world we're living in. And I said, sometimes I'm in that position. Um, and I said, um, this Sunday is one of those. And a couple of students went, yes. So I don't know what that means. Um, but because uh, I actually didn't see either of them here today. So, you know, I have to get on to them on Wednesday about that, that they missed that sermon. But I think sometimes we, we might come to God's word uh, and see, I think I have a feeling some of you read ahead and go, this is going to be fun uh, when we get to some of these passages. Let's see what Brad does with this one. This might be one of those passages, but the fact is that uh, when we're dealing with this, the title, it's the topic in chapter 18 says in my uh, Bible, it says unlawful sexual relations. Um, that can get really touchy really quickly. It can get some, to be something that we've got to make sure we are handling um, in a genteel manner. I'm going to try to do that today. But I also came to the realization as it made me uncomfortable studying this that I'm not sure why it makes me uncomfortable studying this and getting ready to speak this because all of you are inundated with all of these images every day. You can't turn on the TV without this being a reality. You can't turn on the radio without this being a reality. You can't go through life without being hypersexualized. This is what our culture is. This is what people deal with every day. And it's better for us to come to God's word and see the guidelines and the really the guardrails of life that God's word gives us so that we can know what he says and how he defines things and how he wants things to be so that our lives can be lived in a way that honors him. If you, if you remember in Leviticus here, we're in the second half of this book, and the second half of the book is dealing with how to live as people that God has given atonement for, that he's provided atonement for. Now we're a holy people. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be living lives that show how great God is. And especially the people of Israel, they're going into the promised land. God has redeemed them out of Egypt, right? So he's made them into a people, and now he's taking them into a new land. And in that land, there's going to be all kinds of other people who are living and worshiping false gods, who are living lives that are not in line with God's law. And so God gives his people the guardrails of life, this law that would make them into a people, a, a holy people, a set-apart people, a distinct people, a worshiping people. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked at the, how they weren't to be like the people going, that they were going into the land where they were making sacrifices out in the field. They were supposed to come to the tabernacle. They were supposed to come to God's presence to make those sacrifices. Last week, we dealt with don't eat the meat with the blood in it because the people of Canaan, where they were going, ate the meat with the blood in it as an act of worship to God to their false gods. And they were meant to reserve the blood for sacrifice, to remember that God has atoned for their sins. And so today we go into another of the everyday realities, and that is our own desires, our own physical desires, our own desire of the flesh, and how it needs to come in line and under the authority of God and his word. And if we don't deal with this, we'll find ourselves in a place where we can go in many different directions in the world because there are lots of voices speaking into our lives. And, and this is important because this, these prohibitions against all of these aberrations of God's design for sex and sexuality really weren't just about what was happening behind closed doors. They were also issues of worship because all of these aberrations were used in some way in worshiping false gods. And if we're going to be people who are set apart to God and to honoring God and to worshiping God, we can't look like the rest of the world. We need to be separate from this 
context of how the rest of the world worships their false gods and make sure we're worshiping God the way he designed. So this is this truth that kind of is overarching everything we're studying says this, that God redeems his people to be worshipers. God redeems his people to be worshipers, but he also provides for his people to be holy and to be set apart from the rest of the world as worshipers. So he doesn't just say, go be worshipers. He then gives them everything they need in order to be proper worshipers of God. And so this next section of Leviticus chapters 18 through 20, with 18 and 20 serving as bookends, kind of works like this. Chapter 18 is going to tell you all of these things that the people should not be doing. Chapter 20 is going to tell you everything that happens to you if you do those things. And chapter 19 in the middle, sandwiched in the middle that we'll look at next week, says, and here's how you do things correctly. Here's what life looks like. So don't do these things because this is going to happen, but live like this. So we're going to deal with the don't do these things because this is going to happen. That's where we're going to be today. And that makes it difficult to preach. It makes it difficult to deal with because we can also fall into the trap of reading through all of chapter 18. And if you read ahead, you know it's an interesting read. And you read through chapter 18 and you go, well, great thing is I've never done any of those things. So this doesn't apply to me. And you read through it and we we can fall into the trap of reading through chapter 18 and go, never even thought about doing any of these things. Sacrificing my children to Molech, not on my list of things to do this week. Right? I don't look at my family members the way they're talking about looking at their families. I definitely don't look at my pets the way they're talking about looking at their pets. So I'm not guilty of any of this, but we need to remember that it's not the do's and don'ts that rule the day. It's also this. It's the heart. The God is calling out behavior because the hearts of the people were far from him. And he's working to change hearts so that behavior changes. And so we want to come under that heart umbrella today to understand what at the heart of all of these prohibitions Because we are driven by something in our lives, and that's what needs to be changed. The heart needs to change so that the behavior will change. So let me lay out three realities that we need to deal with today, and then we're going to deal with them somewhat topically as we work our way through some of this passage to help us understand. I'm not going to read through all of these perversions and aberrations. It's not going to do anybody any good today. For us to simply focus on, well, I haven't done that one, and I haven't done that one, and I haven't done that one. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he said, go and, you know, you you keep the law, keep all my, keep all the commandments. Well, I've done that since I was young. We don't want to be like that guy, right? We don't want to look and say, well, I've never done any of these, so I'm okay. We want to deal with what Jesus tells us, and that is, Hey, you've got all these aberrations, you've got adultery, you've got all of that, and you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, which all of this would fall into that. Right? But I say to you, if you've looked on someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So let's just all admit, at some point in our life, we've fallen into chapter 18. Maybe not the specific perversions and aberrations, but we all fall into the guilt of a heart that looks on others in a way that does not honor God and does not honor them as made in the image of God. So let's remember these three realities. The first is this, that God's design is for one husband and one wife, male and female. This is back from Genesis, right? We dealt with this this past summer. This God's design is for one husband and one wife, one male and female, to be joined together as one flesh as his way of bringing flourishing and life to the world. He said, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he said, go be fruitful and multiply. This is for flourishing. This is for life. And any distortion of this, it doesn't just go against God's law. It doesn't just go against good common sense. It goes against God's design and creation. That God has made male and female for a reason, and he's done it to display his glory. The the second thing we want to remember is that humanity distorts God's good design, and we do it in order to justify our own desires. I want you to keep that in mind today. 
What we do is we come up with different designs and different things that we can do because we feel a certain way. And we, we want to be able to say they're okay so that we can justify our own desires and our own lust. But in doing so, it brings about death and destruction. So anytime we step outside of God's design and make up our own design, it's going to bring destruction to ourselves, to our family, to society as a whole. Look around. Right? That this is what is happening in our world. I want you to know, though, what's happening in our world is not new. You ever read... The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Anybody ever read that volume? Yeah, I did, because I'm a nerd. And this was at the heart of the problem. To, to take the family unit and to distort it and to pervert it and to turn it into something it wasn't. We're to be hyper-sexualized, hyper-physical, and what happens is death and destruction to society as a whole. The third thing I want us to remember is this. For us as God's people, he has redeemed a people for himself to worship him and to live holy lives. And what does it mean to live a holy life? Fundamentally, it means a life that's different, a life that's set apart, a, a life that's, that's different from the world around us, from the prevailing culture around us. And in, in how we view sex and sexuality and sexual relationships and live accordingly is a huge indicator of who we are and how we worship. That it's a huge indicator of who the object of our worship is. Is it us? Is it our desire? Is it another person? Or is it God himself? We will either worship the one true God or a God of our own making, a, a God of our own Desires. So I want us to look at some of the particulars of this passage today from Leviticus 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. So the first thing I want you to see is the authority. So if someone is speaking and says, don't do that, what authority do they have? Because right, if you're like me, not huge on people telling me what I can't do. Okay? I mean, and if you go, oh, yeah, well, that's a problem in you. Okay, I've watched you guys over the last couple of years <laughs> and your Facebook pages. Okay, so... We don't like being told what to do. So by whose authority are you telling me what I can and can't do? Well, let's look at the text. Let's see what it says. First, see the authority for these prohibitions and, and ultimately for the punishments in chapter 20. The authority over the lives of God's people is the Lord himself and his word. Look at verse 2 of chapter 18. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 4. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. And he repeats this in verse 5. I am the Lord your God. Verse 6. I am the Lord your God. Verse 21. I am the Lord your God. Verse 30. I am the Lord your God. If you flip over to chapter 20, he does the same thing in verse 7. I am the Lord your God. This is the call of the Lord on his people. Verse 8 of chapter 20. I am the Lord your God. Verse 24. Verse 26 of chapter 20. I am the Lord your God. So let me, let me make sure you understand this. God repeats things because we're not the brightest people. He repeats things because we forget. He repeats things because we need to remember. And I'm going to give you a little interpretive tool when you're reading the Bible. If he repeats things over and over again, pay attention. And he wants his people to know the authority behind him telling them what they can and can't do is I am the Lord your God. And see how he makes it possessive and personal? He doesn't say I am the Lord God. I am the Lord, your God. I belong to you. You belong to me. We are in covenant with one another. We are part of his covenant people. We are part of what he owns and we belong to him. There's a personal nature to this. So the authority over the lives of God's people is the Lord himself and his word. 
This is where it gets sticky for us. Because there are tons of voices speaking to us every day. Tons of seemingly authoritative voices speaking in our world, telling us what is important, what we should do, what we should believe, what we think. And when it comes to sex and sexuality, the problem with our world is that people live under the wrong authority. Now, I see it. There's tons of these voices, but I think they they come down into two camps of authorities and and there's kind of some bleeding over between the two so i want to just unpack these for just a second with you of what i see these two authorities that people live under the first is this some people see their own desires as the authority for their actions and lives and i think this is what the first part of chapter 18 is really all about is the, the, the desires of what they see, the, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, what they see in front of them and they desire them. So those things become authoritative. They are ruled by their desires and their lusts. And, and let's, be, let's be candid about this, okay? The argument then becomes, I feel it. It's my feelings. It's my truth. So it can't be bad. That, that's the argument people make. That's the argument... From this idea of the authority of desire and emotion. These these personal and private desires, they're not hurting anybody until they hurt somebody. So these personal and private desires, though they are not God's rule of law, they begin to rule over people. And, And they become unassailable. You can't attack them. You can't judge people for that that's the way we are taught and because the heart and desire of a person is theirs alone it's it's their thing it's fine for them it's true for you doesn't need to be true for me and we become ruled by our desires and you might be thinking of somebody right now that you're like yeah yeah that that's them know exactly who he's talking about well first of all i'm not talking about that person because i'm talking to you I'm talking to me. Because how often do we say we're ruled by God's word, but we find ourselves actually following after our own desires? Our first thought when we're trying to do something is not, what does God say or think or desire for this? It's now, what do I desire? So let's, let's just put ourselves in this camp for a little while and understand that we can fall prey to this as well. The second authoritative voice in our lives is the collective desire. Is when culture says it's good or okay, or if you're against it, then you're outside of the social norm. And when the social norms become the authority, especially when it comes to sex and sexuality, what what becomes normalized by society doesn't just become okay, it becomes celebrated. You've watched the news recently, right? You've watched TV at some point. And what was once unspeakable, before it was unspeakable, was unthinkable. Before it was unthinkable, it was unmentionable. Guess what? It was still there. Now it's not just not unspeakable. It's normalized. It's okay. Even celebrated. This is the reality we live in because the social norm, the cultural realities begin to dictate what is authoritative, what is accepted and acceptable by the culture, what is right and good. And no one individual should question that according to the culture. The problem with both of these ways of thinking is this. You ever noticed how desires and culture change? What we believe now as a culture, what the culture teaches now is very different than 50 years ago, even 10 years ago, even Six years ago, even three years ago? Do you ever notice how your desires change? So how can they be a good authority in your life if they're constantly changing? Think about this for a second. If you're married today, I want you to think about this, okay? If you made decisions about your life as a couple based on how you feel and what your desires are in the moment, how much trouble would you be in? Like, just think about it for just a second, right? If you were like, well, 
It's Monday. I can't believe she did that. My desire is to be right. My desire is to win. And you made every decision and every action based on your desires. And that was the authority under which you made your desire, your, your actions. Any, anybody find, any husbands in the room find yourself in trouble at some point based on that? Why? So you're all nervous. It's nervous. I love the nervous laughter. I'm going to turn it around. Any, any wives find yourself in trouble? If you made all your decisions authoritatively based on your desires, and they change. If you made a big decision based on desire and then your desires change, where do you find yourself? This is what our world does. It, it, what, if, what if a whole bunch of people are telling you, even though you know that the word of the Lord is, is telling you something completely different, that this is what I want us to understand. And this is specifically about, in this text, Sex and sexuality and worship. The problem is that the word of God is the only thing that is eternal and perfect. His will is authoritative and his word is sufficient because his word is eternal. God is perfect and his authority is ultimate because God is our creator and redeemer. We have to come under the umbrella of his rule and reign because he is our creator and our redeemer. He's our creator and as creator, he is the owner and the ruler of all things, including our own bodies. Psalm 24, 1 says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. So he is the creator, but that means he is also the owner and the ruler of all things. He is the one that we belong to. He is the authority over the standard to which humanity should and must be held. And in Leviticus 18, he says over and over and over again, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. He's setting authority for all of the prohibitions. And, and then you can see in chapter 18 what happens when this authority gets misplaced. When we put desire or social norms into the place of authority. When desires and social norms take over, in, in verses 6 through 18, he, he, he keeps saying don't uncover their nakedness, which is just a really, really genteel way of saying don't have relations with them. He says don't do that. And, and he goes so far as to name close relatives. And you read it and you get icky really, really quickly as you read through it. And you wonder how could these people not understand that that is wrong? How could they not get that you don't do that? Well, you need to remember, people in that day and age lived in very close community with their extended families all the time. And on top of that, if you remember, they married into their extended families very often. So what God is doing is he's setting guardrails. And he's saying, the desire of what you see in front of you every day and that desire cannot drive your life. What your eyes see cannot be the thing that causes your heart to move your feet and your body in action. He, his law will set guardrails for what you cannot, should not do. Why? Because the desire is right there in front of them. And the, the, even the permissibility up to this point may have been right there in front of them. And many ancient peoples, this would be the case. In fact, if you went into Canaan... As they were going to, this would have been very normal. They would have stayed many times in their marriages within tribes and close-knit family units. And by placing guardrails in place, God, God's not allowing desires to be authoritative in the lives of his people. He's putting his word as the authority. But then he goes a step further. After he gets through family members and close family members that you must avoid... In verses 19 through 23, he talks about everything from women during their menstrual cycles to bestiality to then, on top of that, not sacrificing your children to idols. And once again, we go, who's doing that? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Why can they not see? Well, because they were going into the land of Canaan. 
And in the land of Canaan, Molech, the god, people were sacrificing their children. And on top of that, the... The Canaanites, I don't want to be crass, but the Canaanites didn't have laws against bestiality. They just had laws as to which beasts were permissible. They were this over the top in their hyper-physical and hyper-lust-filled world. So what do we do with that? I don't think we're that far away from there right now. I think this speaks to our culture. I think this speaks to what we see in the everyday in our culture. And we need to be very aware of the guardrails that the Lord has given us so that we can speak truth into our culture. But what happens is when the authority of God is replaced, the design of God for humanity becomes perverted. Once the authority of God as creator and redeemer is replaced, the design of God for humanity is perverted. And this is what was happening. This is what God is giving the guardrails against to make sure that his people walked in holiness, different from the world around them. So what was God's desire? So here we have authority. You need to understand my authority. This is how I can speak into this. This is why you should do what I'm saying. But here's what I want to have happen. This is the second part of what we want to see. God calls his people to live as holy in the middle of this world of perversion. God calls his people to be holy in the world of perversion. So in the middle of all of this perverse action, God calls his people to be different. Look at verses 3 through 4. You shall not do as they do. In the land of Egypt. So that's where they were coming from, right? Don't be like them. He says, where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. So don't be like the people that you just left. Don't be like the people you're going to. I've set you apart in the wilderness right now as a different people, giving you my guardrails, my law, so that you'll live differently. He says, you shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. And then in chapter 20, verse 23, you can flip over there and, and see what he says this. See what he says there. He says that you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. Here's what he's saying. He, he makes this clear. He says, he says, the people that are in the land right now, they were doing all of these things. And that's why I'm kicking them out and using you to judge them. <laughs> so don't become like them. Isn't it interesting how... Quickly, you can take on the customs of the very people that you used to detest. How easily we can take on the culture of the world around us when we've been given something so much greater. He says, I'm driving out before you, for they did these things, and therefore I detested them. Verse 26 of chapter 20, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. See, being holy to the Lord means living Not by the world's authority, not under the authority of our desires, but by the authority of God within his law and rule, his design and his word and his will. Why is this so important? Well, this is where it gets really practical for us, I think. As we read this and we go, I'm good, never done any of that, never even thought about doing any of that. Not sure why anybody needs to be told not to do any of that stuff. Until you realize how many babies have been sacrificed to Molech. If you call Molech expediency, convenience, and you call sacrifice abortion. This is a reality in our world. Well, nobody would ever do that. Nobody would ever think that until you realize the billions and billions of dollars that are spent and made every year in pornographic images and videos on the internet. No, people need to be told. We need to be reminded that God has guardrails for his people, and he's called us to be separate, different. But we need to remember this. God's word leads to life. 
It's essential for us to remember God as our authority and come out from under the world's authority and the authority of our desires because God's word is what leads to life. From the beginning, this has been the case. God's rule and reign was always so that life would prosper. He made Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden. He said, be fruitful and multiply. This is prospering, right? From there, he even gave all of creation the same mandate, be fruitful and multiply. Then then he gave his law there in the wilderness to the Israelites. And he said things like, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land, prospering. He says, if you keep my covenant, I will prosper you and protect you. God's always working to prosper and protect his people. And and then even the prophet Jeremiah, after the people have totally turned from the Lord and he's taken them into exile out of the land, the the same land that he took the Canaanites out of because he detested what they were doing, he took them out of because he detested what they were doing. Got how God works, right? And now they're in exile and Jeremiah is going, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. This is what God is after. He's he's after the good of his people. I want you to hear today that God's word is not against you. It's for you. His word is life. Leviticus 18.5 verse 5 here says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. I think sometimes this is where we get mixed up in God's law. We read chapter 20 and we go, whoo. We read chapter 18 and we go, whoo. And we picture God as if he's some maniacal being in heaven with a stone just waiting to stone us for being wrong. With a lightning bolt just waiting to to zap us when we're wrong. But I want you to see that God's word is meant for your good, for your prospering, for life. But... We must come under God's authority. Why? Because our desires will lead to death. God's word and desire leads to life. Our desires, man's desires, lead to death. This is clear in chapter 18, isn't it? The people are even warned against murdering their own children to sacrifice to Molech. And then you flip over to chapter 20. God gives punishments for being a slave to these desires and acting on them the the punishments go everywhere from being cut off from the people to god's face being turned from the people in a curse to being put to death usually by stoning but but, but before you get too hung up on this death reality and and you might think for lack of a better word that it's overkill that was a pun thanks um that God's going overboard here. I want you to think about this for just a second. The desires of our hearts and flesh often lead to sin, don't they? Not only are they destructive often, they lead to sin. This is what James 4 tells us, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He goes on to say, you desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions see when our hearts are in control when our passions are in control when our desires are in control and we are under their authority it's going to lead to sin And we know this, too, that sin always leads to death. So if you read chapter 20 and you go, that's a lot of death, I don't get it. Remember that sin always leads to death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. but The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to reassure you of this. God's word is life. It's our desires that lead to death. God did not write chapter 18 so that he could catch a whole lot of people. The hope is he was never catching people doing that. He didn't write chapter 20 so that he could kill a bunch of people. But I think sometimes we think of God in this way. It's like, well, he set some rules and he's just waiting for us to mess up. 
to zap us or to toss the stone at us. He's got the first stone because, you know, Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So that's God, right? He's up there with the stone just waiting for us to mess up so he can stone us and put us in our place. I want you to know that God's law is not designed to kill his people, but to keep his people alive and prosperous. (laughs) God's law is not to kill his people, it's to keep his people from sin. God's desire is for you to be kept in him. He's not trying to catch you. He's trying to keep you. He's not trying to catch you and kill you. He's trying to keep you from sin. So we need to be a people who submit to God's authority in our daily lives, in our, in our relationships, and even in our desires and in our physical relationships. Why? Because God is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be honored. And what is worship? It's proper ordering of our lives under his rule and reign. That's what true worship is. What we do on Sunday morning is awesome, but it's a sliver of what worship is. Worship is your whole life lived under the rule and the reign of the Lord, under the authority of his word and his will for your lives. Worship is what you are as a worshiper, it's how we live being transformed by the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says, holy, that's the same word as in chapter 18 and chapter 20, that we're called to be holy, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't, don't be conformed to this world and their norms or even to your mind and your passions, but, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives need to be ordered under God's authority in order to display his glory. We need to submit to God's authority for our own purity and holiness. Why? Because we will always, people will always worship what we desire and see as authoritative. Let me camp there for just a second. We are made to be worshipers. God created us to have a relationship with him. We, though the image of God is imprinted on us by him being our creator, We worship other gods of our own making. We exchange his glory for the glory of lesser things. Romans chapter 1. We constantly will find other things that make us more comfortable, other things that fulfill our desires more quickly, whatever it may be. We will submit ourselves to an authority that is different than the authority of God. And when we submit ourselves to that authority, whether it's on our own desires or our own wants, the the feelings of others, the opinions of others, whatever it may be, when we submit to those things, we worship those things. They become a god. They become an idol. It might be success. It might be the opinions of others. It might be social norms. It might be popularity, survival. Anybody felt that one for the last couple of years? Just making sure I can put one foot in front of the other. And so every decision we begin to make is under that authority. Well, I'm not really concerned about that. I just want to get by. And whenever those desires or social norms or success or survival passions, whatever they are, whatever, when they begin to rule our lives, rule our hearts, they become gods. They become idols. This is why our culture falls prey to concepts like love is love. Heard that? Love is love. Like you can't, you can't tell me what love is. I feel what love is. The only problem is God tells us what love is, a lot. And He shows us personally what love is because God is love. And He tells us what love is, and what most people are calling love is actually lust, because the world is defining love as a passion or a feeling, a connection. That's my favorite one, right? A con- I don't know what that means, but a connection. And whatever rules the heart begins to rule the life. But we need to 
understand that when we're defining love as a passion or a feeling or a connection, then that allows people to act out that desire and act out that passion however they want because it's their authority. So whatever makes them feel good becomes the authority. But that love is not under the authority of God because God is love. And it's under the authority of our own hearts and our own desires, our own passions and our own lusts. And so people make for themselves new gods, idols to worship, idols to order their lives around, idols to give them a new identity, idols that begin to change the image of God even imprinted on them as human beings, male and female, idols that begin to rule their lives as authoritative, idols that become objects of false worship. And today I want everyone here to hear this truth. Jesus is better. He's just better. He's better than any of those desires that you have. He's better. He is more glorious. He's better than what the world offers you. He's better. I cannot say it more plainly, more simply. Jesus is better. If you are a slave to your desires and everything you're doing is to fulfill that desire, Jesus is better. If your desire above all things is to be accepted and acceptable in a world, I want you to understand being accepted by Jesus is better. Because he's better. If your desire is immediate gratification, I want you to know that eternal joy is better in Jesus. If your desire is prospering by the world's standards, I want you to know that prospering in Christ is better because he's a treasure beyond measure. Jesus is better, and I need you to hear that today because the issue with the world, the issue with the nations around Israel as they're going into the land is they did not know, I am the Lord your God. They didn't know how great he is and what the people will forget. What the people would forget in their entire history is how great the Lord, their God, is. He is better than any authority that this world can prop up against him. And one day, one day it will be demonstrated that Jesus is better. One day it will be demonstrated that he has defeated every other so-called authority in heaven and on earth. Every social norm. Every desire of the flesh and desire of the heart and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He'll take every other authority in heaven and on earth and he will put it at his feet. The only authority that will remain is Jesus. The only authority that will remain is Jesus. And everyone who is submitted to his authority by his grace through faith in Christ will live in joy forever. But this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says that there's a day coming when everyone, every person, every authority, every false idol will bow to his authority. Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So therefore God has exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name, the Lord your God, that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. The question is. Are you going to wait till then to bow? Because it's too late. The question is will you bow today? The question is would you bow to his authority today. And find real love and real life. And so for those of us who have come to Christ by faith. And. And bow before him, submit to his authority. I want to remind you, it's important for us to continue on submitting to his authority. Because it's going to get tough. And it's only going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. The pressures are only going to get heavier and harder. From our own desires because of everything we are forced to see on a daily basis. To what the world sees as acceptable and even celebrates. It's going to get harder. But I want to remind you who you are. You have been redeemed out of sin and death to be one with the Lord. We have been redeemed out of sin and death to be one with the Lord. And that, that must define our life. 
our worship, our relationships, and our acting out even of our desires and passions. We should be a passionate people. We should be a desiring people. We should be a people. We should, but they should be absolutely within the guardrails of God's law and his word. They should be pointed in the right direction. Passion without direction is deadly. And so we should be a passionate people in the way that God has made us to be. And this is what Paul puts out to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and just so you know, the Corinthians were a group of Christians that were living in a culture that was hyper-lustful, hyper-sexualized, loved power, was perverted. Sounds really familiar. Not unlike the day we live in today. And they were a church, a group of people who had to live there, and it was infiltrating the church. And this is what Paul calls them to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? See, he's redeemed us to be one with him. We don't just belong to him. We are a part of him. We are one with him. Shall, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Whereas it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Do you catch what he did there? Because we all would go, I never would think about a prostitute. But prostitutes were actually around the temple worship. So he's putting idolatry and prostitution side by side. And he goes, well, I, I mean, I would never be with a prostitute. He says, uh, but I want you to remember that we're talking about all adultery here. The two shall become one flesh. Anything outside of God's design is in play here. And he goes on to say that in verse 17 and beyond. He says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You are one with the Lord. So he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So what you do with your body is an act of worship? What you do with your body is whether you will be in the presence of the Lord or not. Whether you will know the joy and the, the pleasure of the Lord or not. And he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You've been redeemed. So glorify God in your body. Believer, I want to challenge you with this as I close and we get ready to sing. God deserves to have a holy people who worship him and put his glory on display. He deserves that. And yes, I am not living in a bubble. I'm living in the same world you're living. I'm inundated with the same things that you are, but I can also choose, make a lot of choices about what comes in and what doesn't. I can make a whole lot of choices. I can't choose everything, but I can make a whole lot of choices. So I want to encourage you with this. This is an illustration as we get ready to close. And I've said it before, but I want to remind you of this. If you knew, if you knew that a hostile nation, let's just say, well, we can pick any number, right? Right now? Okay. Let's go North Korea, just to not make it, too much of what's happening in the news, okay? So let's go back a couple of years. If you found out that, and you knew the U.S. government had found out that North Korea had put a dirty bomb on a container ship, right, and it was heading to our shores, what would you expect the U.S. government to do? You would expect, well, we know it's on that ship. <laughs> we don't know which container, but we know it's on that ship. You would expect, wouldn't you, that they would meet that ship before it ever made it to our shores. And you're not, I'm not asking them to go through every single one of those shipping containers to find which one is the right one. Just blow the thing. Just sink the thing. Don't let it into our shores. Would you expect the U.S. government, well, we might expect, would you want the U.S. government to allow the ship to come into port? To dock, to unload its cargo, and then have 
folks going and just opening every container, hoping it's not the one. But is that not what we do with the images and the videos and the thoughts and the hyper lustful realities of our world? We know where the temptation comes from. We know where the destruction is. I'm not saying live in a bubble. I'm saying at least protect yourself and your family. Make some guardrails. That's my encouragement to you. Just make some guardrails. I'm not going to tell you what those guardrails are. What I'm going to tell you is what the Lord despises. What is perverted. What perverts his design. And it's not just the homosexuality that has become so acceptable. It's what happened before that. We should not be surprised that homosexuality is so acceptable and celebrated in our culture when we've celebrated and accepted heterosexual sin for so long. And I just want to encourage you today, as the people of God, God deserves better from his people. This is a conviction in my own heart. He deserves to have a holy people worship him and put his glory on display. That we need to be displaying that Jesus is worthy, that he is our greatest desire, that he is the one we are completely set apart to. That, that, that he's made us into a people that are supposed to flee our sinful desires and set our eyes and our hearts on a greater beauty. To see him as our greatest desire, to see him as our greatest joy, to see him as the greatest beauty in our lives. Doesn't he deserve that? But here's the deal. He does deserve it. And he deserves to see us or for us to see him as the most beautiful, the most desirous, the most glorious, the source of all joy. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say, hey, I'm up here. Look up here. No, he stoops down to us. And he comes and he puts his glory on display right in front of us. And he comes to us in his grace and in his mercy and he says, look at me. And all that other stuff will, will grow dim. Look at me. And in his glory, all the lesser glories become dim. All the lesser desires are shown for what they really are. So the invitation today is to come to the light of his glory. To come into the light of his grace. To come into the light of his love. To submit to his life-giving word. To not think of God as up there just waiting for you to mess up so he can stone you. But to know that he is for you in his word and in his son. And find rest for your soul. True joy. True love. Father, I pray that today we would turn our eyes to Jesus. And see him as the glorious one he is. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If today the Lord is working.